Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Catherine, and Catherine is going to share her five birth stories with us. So before we jump into those, do you just want to start us off with an introduction? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Catherine. I've had nine pregnancies. We're currently on our sixth, but I'm only going to be talking about our five birth stories. Um, my husband and I have been together for 12 years and married for seven. Yeah, and I can't wait to share with y'all. Uh, I'm super excited. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super excited to hear all of your stories too. Just a little background information. Catherine and I have been chatting for, gosh, it's probably been like a year now that we've been like off and on connecting. And so I'm really excited to share, to have her share her stories today. I think it's closer to like two years now. Oh my gosh. So it's like, (laughs) whoa. That is crazy. Well, why don't you just take us to wherever you want to start? Okay, I guess I want to start with uh, obviously our first child, but I guess some backstory to this. So my husband and I obviously met in high school and um, we got pregnant probably a month before I graduated. And it was shocking to say the least. Um, So I was 17. I just turned 18 like a month later um, and very scary times. I will say that I didn't really handle it the best. Um, I don't think either of us did. We didn't know what to do. We were freaked out. And then I tried to go to college and I hadn't told my parents yet. They didn't notice anything was off or anything. So when I had (laughs) went to college, I was near my aunt and I had her take me to a doctor. And um, we found out I was 19 weeks. I was having a girl I turned down a lot of uh, the stuff that you normally do at 19 weeks because I'd missed a lot of the genetic testing that you're supposed to do. And they asked you the the normal genetic testing. And I turned it down. And I think that was my first encounter with a doctor that had called me stupid. Um, Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was turning down the test. Yes, he, he called me stupid. And it's something I've never forgotten. I hope that man is somewhere not in obstetrics. Yeah, he caught he had called me stupid. It was an interesting time. I was already scared and nervous being 18 and pregnant. And so I was with that practice from 19 weeks to 24 weeks, which was or maybe it wasn't 24. It was closer to 30 because it was December. Um, And obviously, that was when I was done with my first semester of college. And I was going home with my parents. And I had to switch over to another uh, what's it called? Another practice. And my mom had suggested the one that she delivered all of us at. And at first they were really great. Um, I think my first appointment with them was at 36 weeks. And at every appointment, my daughter was breached from 36 to my very last appointment at 38 weeks. And it was one of those things where I kept trying to tell them, well, at nighttime, I'm positive she's head down. It was just like a feeling and I could feel her turning and stuff. And they just wanted to listen. So at 38 weeks, I kind of just caved. Like no one was telling me anything different. No one was 
making me think outside the box or like, Hey, give it a chance. Or, you know, I didn't have a lot of support. And so I'm talking to this doctor and I, she had offered an ECV and I'd asked her to basically give me risks and benefits of an ECV. And she had told me that there was a lot more risk than there were benefits and that it could easily turn into a C-section anyways. And so with that line of thinking, I just, I just told myself, well, it's like, if it's going to turn into a C-section anyways, why not just have a C-section? And my mom had had three C-sections. I was her VBAC baby, but I didn't know that at that time. I'd just known about the three C-sections. And I was just like, you know what? My mom has done it. It's not a big deal. And I consented to a C-section, but they didn't schedule it until I was like 39 weeks, three days. And I went to the C-section They didn't check baby's positioning at all. And she was born vertex to the lovely sound of a doctor I've never met saying, this baby's not breech. And so we then had our healthy baby girl. And it's like that, I can't even explain how I felt in that time. Because at the moment, I was just happy my daughter was there. I was happy it was finally over, that I wasn't fighting doctors anymore and it was just done. And I had my daughter and my husband at the time, he was my boyfriend. still. he was there with me and, you know, we just enjoyed having her. I don't think it really hit me until years later, how messed up that whole situation was. And it's why I kind of advocate a lot. Whenever someone tells me at like 38, 39 weeks that their baby's breech, I'm like, do whatever you can make sure you get an ultrasound before your C-section because it was completely unnecessary. And I really wish they had done an ultrasound because I probably could have just walked out of there that day. I could have just gone home or maybe they would have asked to induce me. And I probably would have done that because I was 18. I didn't know any better. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, sums up my first birth. I want to say recovery for that was, I guess, standard. It's been so long now. I don't even remember. I, I remember it being really hard for me to go upstairs and stuff pain. I think they had me on, uh, ibuprofen and Percocet, I think it was. And I only took Percocet for like the first two days. And then after that, it was just ibuprofen, but I had a really good support system afterwards. (laughs) And, you know, everyone was trying to help because I had a C-section and she's nine now. (laughs) So it's been a long time since then. (laughs) And just speaking to what you said about like confirming baby's position prior to going in for a C-section if it's for breach presentation. I, I've i had two different situations where the moms have gone in for their scheduled C-section and one of them, they did an ultrasound like before they brought her into the OR and then mm-hmm. brought her into the OR, like we're prepping everything, whatever. For some reason, I don't know why they checked again, but they did. And in the time between the ultrasound and getting to the OR, baby flipped to head down. And oh then in the, in the other situation, I, it wasn't like in that short of a time span, but it was sometime between like her four, 39 or 40 week appointment, whatever it was. And then her scheduled C-section a couple of days later when they did the ultrasound and same thing, baby was head down at that point. So it's shocking to me. I mean, I shouldn't say it's shocking because this kind of stuff happens, but I I just can't believe that they wouldn't have checked baby's position and then to just be so flippant about it, like, oh, this baby was head down. Yeah, it, like I said, in the moment, it didn't really affect me. I was just happy baby was there. I hadn't even given any thought to it. I was just in that mode of like, 
I told y'all she did this, you know, like I mm-hmm. told you guys she flipped and I don't know, I guess that too, I guess being so rattled by everything. Cause you know, those C-sections, they schedule at like seven in the morning and I hadn't really slept that night. So I guess I just didn't think to even fight it. Like, I guess I, part of me had just given up at that point. Like I was just done. I didn't want to do it anymore. I just wanted to have my daughter and get on with life. It's, and it's just a learning experience for me. And I do my best to prevent it for others. That's all I can do now is try my hardest to make sure other people don't go through that experience. I would hope it's procedure now to do ultrasounds before a C-section. I don't even know if it was then. I don't care either because I don't want to bring up that, you know, (laughs) that whole thing again, but it's okay. (laughs) So how did, how did that leave you feeling about having future children? Were you in the mindset that like, oh, I had a C-section, I'm going to have to have more C-sections or was VBAC on your radar at all at that point? At that point, no. I will say going into my second pregnancy is when I had learned about VBAC for the first time. And that was interesting. Um, so let's just go ahead and go straight into the second one. So a year, a year goes by, my daughter's a year old at this point. And I want to say she was like a year and three months. My husband and I find out we're pregnant again. So we find out we're pregnant again, went through the same spiel. We were like, oh my gosh, like we really should have been smarter about this. You know, it was, (laughs) it was quite a time, just a few careless moments, you know, those things can happen. and. that's what happened. And I, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I'm very happy that we went through what we've gone through. Um, so we were pregnant with our son and he, we were fine, you know, a few months pass. Uh, one of my favorite stories to tell about being pregnant with my son was my husband that summer had to go do some, um, it was like ROTC stuff. He was in college. He was doing ROTC, but he had to leave me for the whole summer. So I'm, you know, anywhere from like 14 to 20 weeks, we're finding out, um, the gender and everything. And so it was hard being away from him, but it's okay. So one of my favorite stories is I worked at Coldstone at the time and I just, I had a feeling it was a boy. And like, I kept, I kept just, you know, like, Oh, give me a sign, please. And we already knew if it was boy, we were going to name him William and my grandfather's name's William. And I remember the day after I'd asked for just a sign, this lady came in. She was the first customer of the day. It was an opening shift. And she asked for a birthday cake that said, happy birthday, William. And I found out two weeks later, we were having a boy. (laughs) So it's like one of my favorite things, total coincidence, (laughs) but it was, I love telling that story because it's so shocking to me. Um, We found out we're having a boy. I had found a place that did VBACs. You know, they weren't pushy either way. They didn't go like, oh, if you don't deliver by this time, you can't have a VBAC. It was just yeah, we'll see where this goes. So pregnancy was really healthy. That was probably one of my healthiest pregnancies out of all of them. We get to, I think it was my 39 week appointment. They were worried that he was breached because they couldn't feel him. And so they did an ultrasound. He was head down. He was just really high up. And they had asked me what I wanted to do because, you know, 40 weeks was approaching and I told them, oh, I guess we could just wait another week. You know, it's, it's no big deal. We could just wait another week and see what happens. And they were like, oh, okay. And I go home that day and I get a call a few hours later and it's somebody, I guess a nurse, and she's trying to schedule a C-section for that week. And I was like, oh, 
I thought it was for next week. And they were like, no, they, they told me this week. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess so. So we scheduled it for 40 weeks exactly. It was already something I had done. I didn't know a lot about VBAC at the time. And I guess maybe that's my own fault. I didn't take any birthing classes or anything. It, it just didn't matter, I guess, is what you could say. I was just like, okay, I guess we're doing this again. And for, you know, 40 weeks exactly, we went in, had the smoothest C-section I've ever had. The anesthesiologist was awesome. The doctors were awesome. They just made me feel like a person instead of just someone they were operating on. Like they talked to me, they told me what was going on. Scariest moment of my life was they had a student. This is when I learned that students could even do um, <laughs> C-sections or even anesthesia and stuff. I didn't know about that. And she was doing the spinal for me. And I'll never forget. She was like trying to count on my back, you know, to find that spot. And I heard the head anesthesiologist tell her like, no, you should do it again. And then she did it again. No, do it again. And she did it again. And then he was like, no, let me just do it. So he did it. And I was like, oh, I guess I dodged a bullet because oh who God. knows what would happen if she had done it. Um, I mean, she was nice, you know, it was just like scary for me. So, uh, yeah, he, my son was born. We got some amazing pictures because our anesthesiologist, like I said, he was crazy. He just took my husband's phone and was just snapping pictures, got the best pictures ever from that. And my son came out and they said he had a lot of fluid in his lungs. So that was probably one of my only C-sections where the baby wasn't like instantly given to me. They actually had to hold him for a while because he just had a lot of fluid in his lungs and um, went to recovery you know, we're waiting for him to come in. Then they finally bring him in. They finally weigh him. They finally, you know, make sure everything's good with him. And I finally have my son. We had our little William. Recovery for that was really smooth, probably better than my first one. Like I felt back to normal probably a day or two after. And I actually got released two days after. It was, it was kind of like the same as my first, like nothing crazy happened for that postpartum. It was just it was us, you know, we had a daughter and a son and everything was great. Um, and I don't regret anything from that birth. You know, it's probably one of my only births that I'm like, I walked away from just like, that was a good birth, you know? And I feel like it made up for the first one. It, when I really think about it, it was just a really smooth C-section where I wasn't someone laying on a table. I was actually there and they talked to me and they made me feel like I existed. <laughs> um, I'm so glad you brought that up because so that's actually a conversation that we've been having over on the Instagram page for the podcast this week. So this is really timely, <laughs> um, <laughs> but just one of the questions I put out there is, did you feel respected by the hospital staff when you went in for your C-section? Because so many times you hear these stories of like women are laying on the table in the OR and the hospital staff are just having these conversations around them. Nobody's really talking to them, like paying attention, explaining what's going on during the C-section, all of these things. And then like babies just whisked away to the warmer. Mom doesn't even get to see the baby, hold the baby. Like, again, things aren't being explained to the mom, what's going on, things like that. So I'm really glad to hear that in that aspect, it was a positive experience. And you, like you said, felt like a human and not just someone laying on the table that they were operating on. 
it was I'm telling you that was one of the best c-sections ever and that's why whenever I hate that I'm like this but whenever someone asked me how was your second c-section compared to your first I always just hit them with that it was amazing and I don't it's not like me trying to promote you know like have go ahead and have a second c-section you know it's like that's really what mine was. My second C-section was like one of my best births that I ever had. And I think it was just because I was respected and I was, mm-hmm. I was there for them, not just laying there. It was, they talked to me. We talked, we had conversations, we made jokes. I got to see my son. They took pictures for me. It wasn't like things were taboo. It was just there. We were communicating. Right. <laughs> um, it was, it was really nice. I really enjoyed that C-section. So <laughs> that's great. No. And I think that's just the reality of it. You know, like that, that was what, that was what the situation was for you. So I don't think that there's anything bad about saying like, oh, this was a really great C-section experience because that's just the truth of what it was. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that that was a better experience. And like you said, <laughs> like almost a healing experience from from everything that happened the first time. So you had asked about if I had thought about future kids after my first. So mm-hmm. after my second, the same thing kind of happened, I guess, because, you know, you just had a baby. So you're not really thinking about it yet. Shortly after our first, I think it was like three or four months or after our second, sorry, shortly after our second, three or four months had went by. My husband and I got married. He commissioned in the army. And then we moved our first time to California. So our first two were born in Virginia. So we moved to California, a whole new world dealing with military stuff. Uh, Cause I didn't know about the whole TRICARE thing. I knew nothing about any of that. And that was craziness. Um, but I found a provider that did VBAC after two C-sections that was 45 minutes away from where we lived. And I will say she was, probably one of my favorite providers that I had. Um, We didn't get pregnant again until I think right before my son turned one. So this would have been January of 2016. It was right before he turned one. I chose the VBAC after two cesareans. I was like, you know what? Maybe this time will be different. Maybe I'll do more. And I really wanted it this time. And a lot of things happened during this pregnancy that just really threw me off. And this is where I'm going to get into the whole go with your gut on some things. So I scheduled my appointment. I had so many ultrasounds with him. My first one was like a dating one, you know, your usual thing. And then we did the, we opted for the genetic testing and he ended up coming up positive for a one chance of chance of having down syndrome in California. They send you to like a specialty clinic. I'm not sure if that's everywhere. I just know the only time I've had to do this in California, it was like a super specialty clinic and you go there and they have these high tech ultrasounds. They had told me that I could either do an amniocentesis or I could do this blood panel. And so we chose the blood panel. He came back fine on that. And then they wanted to continue doing uh, ultrasounds. So I think I had ultrasounds every month until 32 weeks when they finally cleared him and everything was fine. And then we get to like 36 weeks. And this is my first time dealing with I'm losing pieces of my mucus plug. So I'm thinking, oh, everything's great. You know, everything's going to go fantastic. And 
you know, I've learned <laughs> through that not to get your hopes up because you'll lose it and it regrows. <laughs> um, and then at 37 weeks, I found out that he had float breach. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, it's all over. And she was like, well, I'm not going to rush anything. She was like, you're still 37 weeks and we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll see what happens next week. And then 38 weeks comes and he actually flipped back. So he was back vertex again. And then 39 weeks comes and everything's still fine. I'm actually having Braxton Hicks for once. I'd never experienced that in any of my other births or like pregnancies. And uh, so I was like getting really excited. And then 40 weeks exactly. I woke up and something just didn't feel right. And I'm going throughout the day and he wasn't really moving. He would move if I had like orange juice or like ice cream or the cold stuff, you know, all the little things you do to get babies to move. He would move, but then he'd stop moving and it just wasn't the same. And I was like, I don't really, I don't really like this. I, I'd seen a lot of posts about stillbirth and stuff. And it just kind of put this thing in my gut that I was like, this doesn't, this really doesn't feel right. And our appointment was two days later on a Wednesday. So we go to that appointment and I explained my concerns. He had a fine heartbeat and everything. He was still head down and they put me on an NST. So we're on the NST. He's not really doing anything. Still has a heartbeat, but he's just not reacting to anything. Like they tried to give me juice. They gave me like, I think it was like fruits and nuts or something like that just not doing anything. And so we get back to the room and she was like, um, she was like, I'm not really concerned, but if you don't feel comfortable proceeding, we don't have to proceed. And I just, I didn't feel comfortable at all. I felt like something was really telling me like we need to get him out. Um, so we scheduled a cesarean for the next day. I get there and they were like, are you sure you don't want us to check to see if you're dilated at all? Like this could probably change things. And I told them, I was like, I really don't want to get my hopes up. Like something doesn't feel right. So I declined it. Um, we have the C-section. This was a team green thing. So <laughs> we finally found out we were having a boy and um, he had a nuchal cord wrapped around twice. Now, I don't want to like scare anyone because nuchal cords aren't like crazy dangerous. You know, they're, they're common. And I think it's like one in three births, uh, there's a nuchal cord or something like that. But I think in his case, it was one of those things where it probably was dangerous for him because I don't see any other reason why he would have just stopped moving. And I'm glad we did it. <laughs> I feel I always love telling this because I feel like he would have been seven pounds exactly. But he also had meconium in his water and he had, uh, he had, <laughs> they went to take him to go weigh him and he had peed on the way there. So he was six pounds, 15 ounces. But I just think the mixture of, and again, meconium isn't something that's like instantaneously like this is bad, but I think about it all the time. And I, I, it, I struggled with this birth. Like I really struggled with this birth for years because I have no idea if I made the right choice or not. And I keep, I, it took a lot of convincing to tell myself, like, you made the right choice. I feel like the presence of meconium, even though I hadn't been in labor or anything, really does, like, I think it came from distress. I feel like he he was probably in distress at some point, and I probably should have done a C-section sooner, but we, we didn't, you know? And that I was think sometimes even in the absence of, like, these concrete things told me that something was wrong 
going back to what you said about listening to your gut, I think sometimes a mother's intuition can just speak to them. And and it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be like, oh, because this, this, and this are happening, I made this choice. Sometimes it's just, this is what I feel is best for the situation. And I don't have like a concrete reason or explanation for it, but this is just what I feel is best and this is what I'm gonna choose. So I'm really glad that you were respected in that choice that you were making too. Like even though they were offering to do these other things, to just be like, no, this is what I feel is best and have the the hospital staff respect that is really great. Oh, th- I'm telling you, this was, an okay, if I could be honest, this was another good C-section doctor talked to me, nurses talked to me. Oh my God, I'll never forget that nurse. I love her to death. Um, I don't remember her name because it's been so long, but she was like, you know, your husband can't come with you when you're in the OR and they're doing the spinal and stuff. And I was shaking. I was terrified. And she was just calming me down, rubbing my shoulders, really talking to me. And then until he got in there, she was by my side, holding my hand. And she was just amazing. And I just, that was also another good experience, but I think it got overshadowed by a lot of just negative feelings. And I think that's something where you have to learn as a mom to separate the birth of your child being a happy moment and all the negative feelings you have about that birth, or even maybe things that happen after the birth, you know? So I think I, I think VBAC Facts is currently talking about that. Um, about how to talk about birth around your kids when it was a bad birth, but you, you know, you're obviously happy they're here, but it was a bad birth. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I talked about was how I felt after this one. And it was interesting. So I'm in a lot of VBAC groups and someone was asking about if they questioned their decision afterwards. And I am one of those people that had questioned that decision for two years afterwards. It, it took me a really long time to be okay with it. And I think one of the things that helped was, um, reading heal your birth story. And one of the quotes in there was, um, it was an affirmation. It was, I forgive myself for what I didn't know then. And I had to say that every day to really convince myself that I didn't, I didn't know anything better than I was going off gut feeling and I trust that now. And it led to a lot of my decisions in future births was trusting that gut feeling. And I, you know, I think it even proved itself back with my first, when I kept telling them gut feeling was telling me she was, she had flipped and I just didn't trust it as much back then. Mm -hmm. So then after him, I'm almost certain I had postpartum depression. I had a really hard time bonding with him. I was hysterical all over the place. I remember reaching out to my husband at times and just telling him like, I am really in a bad spot. Like there were times and I, and this is probably a trigger warning. Like I kind of wanted to end it all. And, um, (laughs) sorry. No, Um, that's okay. This is really, really important stuff to talk about and something that a lot of people don't talk about, but I know that you're not the only mom who has felt like that. It was, it was hard telling your own like spouse that like someone you'd been with five years, like mm-hmm. I, I, it was, I'm glad I was able to tell him that because I should have gotten help. But I think because I told him things got easier, he saw I needed help and he like helped me. So we, um, cause at that time he was in grad school because the military was paying for his grad school. So he was able to like help out a lot more and he just helps remind me every day, like we're okay. And I think I started finally 
building a connection with my son around four or five months. And now it's crazy because we're super close. He's like our middle child and we're crazy close now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But it took so long to get to that point because I had so many things just bogging down my mind and so many questions about, did I do the right thing or, you know, and honestly mourning the experience because I really wanted my view back after two cesareans, but it didn't happen. And I think what also helped was after this, um, there was a doula who had shared in one of the, you know, there's Facebook groups for everything nowadays. I was in a, like a neighborhood one for the military base we were on. And there was a doula there who was asking about where people had given birth and what services were offered. So I was like, oh, my thing's unique. It's a view back after two cesareans. I should share that. And I had mentioned that I didn't get it. And she messages me. And she was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I had a home birth after three cesareans. So you're, you know, like if you find a provider, it's still possible. And that sparked something in me. And I was like, Oh my God, that's crazy. Like, I've never heard of this before. I always thought it was done after two. And then, um, I go to my six week appointment and these are kind of out of order. Sorry. The six week appointment was before this, but at my six week appointment, I had saw my doctor for the first time because at my two week one, I saw someone I didn't know. Six week one, I saw my doctor and she was telling me that the night before she had delivered a VBAC after three cesareans. And she was like, yeah, the lady just came in and she was already having a baby. So I wasn't going to stop her. So she was like, there's still a possibility it could happen for you. And I was like, you know, I'm getting all these signs and like, it really sparked something in me when this doula reached out to me like that. And so then from there, we're moving from California to Georgia. And I found out through this doula that in Georgia, there was a doctor named Dr. Boots Taylor, who would take on a VBAC after three cesareans. And when we moved to Georgia, I looked to see how far away he was. And he was three hours away from me. (laughs) But Uh, that did not stop me. (laughs) So we got pregnant basically as soon as we got to Georgia and I freaked, I was not ready. I thought I had more time and I, how my fertility went after the third was like really crazy. Cause with my first two, I had periods instantly, like after the first, you know, initial bleeding, mine started up the week after that. And it was just a steady, it went back to normal. With my third, my periods kind of went like, okay, I didn't have one for three months and then 44 days I'd have one. I guess during that time, because we practiced natural family planning at that point, guessing during that time that it switched lower. And so we ended up ovulating sooner than I was supposed to. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that was a trip, but I was really freaked out. Um, Where were you at mentally at that point then? Had you done some of the healing that you had talked about or were you still kind of struggling with things? I was kind of struggling with things still. Um, And I think that's what made me so freaked out is I wasn't ready. I, I was in the place I needed to be, had the provider three hours away from me, but I was panicking. So I was like, it's too soon. He's going to tell me, no, he's going to turn me down. He's going to tell me like, that's, that's not happening. You know, because my kids were supposed to be 18 months apart and they ended up being 19 months apart. I think it was, I think it was like, they were closer to 19 than they were 18, but that freaked me out. Cause that's really close together. At least to me, it was at the time. Um, 
And so I went to go see military doctors first because you have to do that at some bases. You go see them first. And then if they can't help you, that you get referred off. I went to go see them and they were like, oh no, you're having a C-section. I was like, oh no, I'm not. I know a doctor that's going to help me. <laughs> and they did my referral, but they only did it for four appointments with this person, with Dr. Roots Taylor. And I was like, that's unacceptable. And I found out I could switch from prime to select. So anybody that knows TRICARE knows what that means. Um, and select is break and choose who your providers are without referrals, whereas prime, you have to have referrals. So I switched to select and just started my appointments with Dr. Roots Taylor. I get there. Nobody batted an eye when I talked about a VBAC after three cesareans. It was crazy. I had never been in that situation. They wanted to know about my previous C-sections. They wanted me to get all those records. So I did that for them. I met with Dr. Boots Taylor and I'll never forget him saying to me, you probably know more about this than I do. Wow. You know, like he actually said that to me and I was like, I don't know if I should be happy about that or scared about that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was happy about it in the moment. I think about it now. Cause I'm like, Oh, well that doesn't sound too great. But he was just letting me know, like he trusts my decision and he practiced shared decision-making as he would call it. Um, so yeah, he, my first appointment was, went really well. And I just instantly trusted everyone there. Like no one questioned me. They were just like, okay, yeah, we can try it. He knew I wanted to go to 42 weeks and I wasn't going to do anything sooner than that. I was going to make any decisions unless it was medically necessary. And we go to our 20 week appointment. Everything's still great. He's still on board. I think around 35 weeks is when things kind of go like upside down. I started getting hypertension, um, pregnancy induced hypertension, and they had me do a 24 hour urine. I think the limit is 300 nowadays. And I was at 308, something like that. I was barely over the line. And so we had to have a conversation now, you know, like, oh, you kind of are pre-eclamptic, like you're kind of in danger for that. And he told me all my options, you know, cause they couldn't induce me at all. So we had talked about just going straight for a cesarean. We had talked about medication. We had talked about just self-monitoring at home and going off that. So I chose the third option because I had a feeling that my hypertension was because of the drives. Like I'm driving three hours there, three hours back. I had to wake up super early for most of these appointments just to get back in time to get my kids from school. So we, we did all that fun stuff. I monitored at home with a manual. And then when we went to appointments, they had to use a manual also. And most of the time my blood pressure would be fine. And then we also chose to monitor the baby with an NST and a biophysical profile. So we did that every week from 35 weeks until I delivered. It was crazy. It, but it, you know, for the support, it was worth it. I, I don't regret that decision at all. And at every appointment, he was fine. Of course, every ultrasound tech that I had, oh, he's going to be big. He has a big head. He's going to be long. He's going to be nine pounds. And it was like, they were trying to scare me or something. I don't know what it was. I don't know why they even mentioned it. And I was just like, oh, it's fine. You know, every appointment I was just like, it's fine. It's no big deal. It's like, I, I had also taken a Bradley class. Bradley birth method class. So I had a lot more knowledge this time around about how like birth works and what's normal and what's not normal, or I don't want to say not normal, abnormal, I guess you could say it's like, like there are 
outliers, right? To any birth, any baby, things like that, right? A variation of normal. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> variation of normal. That is so much better than what I said. Um, Was and, that kind of one of the main things that you did to help prepare for a VBAC this time? Oh, or was yes. there anything else that you had done? That was, it was that. And then um, I had mentioned earlier about how I read the book, Heal Your Birth Story. That was because um, I had went to a lot of my ICANN meetings. In California, I didn't know too much about ICANN yet. Um, so when I got to Georgia, I learned that we had an ICANN that I could actually like go to the meetings. And I met Brittany there, who was the ICANN leader. And she's also done the, another podcast, like a few a past podcast for you. And she was one of the people that she suggested the book to me and she had like little rentals that you could do. So I rented the book and I read the book and, um, she helped me kind of get clear headed so that I'm not, it wasn't a VBAC or die thing. It was a, you know what you're doing and you should trust yourself this time instead of, you know, questioning everything. And she really helped me through a lot. So taking the Bradley class just helped me understand birth better because no one had taught me about it. They don't teach you about birth. And yeah, they suggest birthing classes, but it's not something where it's like people are openly talking about it and like, hey, yeah, that's a variation of normal or hey, yeah, that might not happen for you. It could actually go this way instead and still be perfectly fine. And I think that's why I felt so safe and comfortable just making my own decisions this time was because I just learned there are variations in birth all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, we did NSTs and BPPs 35 weeks on at 39 weeks. I go to my biophysical profile and he's breach. <laughs> so, and I remember talking to Dr. Boots Taylor and the last thing we talked about was a C-section. Even though I had a rule, I didn't want to talk about C-sections. I knew that had to be talked about, but he offered an ECV, which I turned down. He was like, we could just wait this out. We could just have a breech birth if that's what you want. And I was like, sure. Like, I'd be fine with that. Like nothing scared me anymore. It was crazy. I was in a different headspace than I'd ever been in. Nothing scared me anymore. And when he offered breech birth, I was like, that sounds perfect. Let's just do that. Funnily enough, the next 40 weeks comes and my son was back head down. So he was like, okay, he just did it on his own. I was like, yep. So I guess we're doing this. You just had <laughs> super crazy. flippy babies. <laughs> I do. They like to do gymnastics, man. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> so uh, 41 weeks comes. And this was my first time experiencing like prodromal labor. Um, and I couldn't tell what, like if it was really happening or if it wasn't really happening, I was just all over the place. And I was like, okay, it doesn't feel like a wave. It's stopping with like a bath. I was like, I, and you know, if I get up and do stuff, it was also stopping. So I was like, okay, this is, this is just practice stuff. We're, we're fine. I had my mom come to visit at 41 weeks, um, because she wanted to help out this time, which she'd never done before. And so during her visit, she just really wanted to know why I was still after this VBAC. And I just explained it to her. I was like, I was really robbed of a lot of my births, even though like they were my choice. Right. But I feel like my first birth really just set off this like domino effect that put me where I was. And I actually remember like her and I having a heart to heart because for her, 
her VBAC was very scarring for her. And mind you, I'm her VBAC baby. So hearing this from my own mom was kind of like, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, and there was, I was able to like talk to her about her birth and, you know, I don't know exactly what happened. I'm hearing it from her side and I'm explaining to her like certain things like, well, it doesn't sound like you had many choices. It sounds like they were controlling everything for your VBAC. Like they weren't letting you do anything. And they just had a horrifying experience. So that's why my mom was so like against me having a VBAC. She just didn't want me to go through that. And I think I helped her heal part of that when we were having the conversations that we were having, like I helped her understand what my motivation was and why I just wasn't going to sit there and take it again. I couldn't, I, something in me was just like, that's not what to do. Like your provider is supportive. Nothing in me was telling me it was the wrong thing to do. I will say that was probably one of my favorite experiences with my mom because yeah, it was, it's interesting to talk to your parents. Like if you ever get the chance to talk to your mom about her births, see where she's like, really, I feel like that was such a crazy experience for me. And I'm so glad I had that talk with my mom. Um, I remember when I was pregnant with my son, I was asking my mom about, because I'm the oldest and then I have a younger sister. So I was asking her to like share her birth stories. And then I went to ask my grandma about her birth stories too. She had two kids and she she had her babies in the era of like twilight sleep and all of that. And I, I didn't realize that at the time, but she like completely refused to talk about it. Basically what oh. she said was like, oh, I went in and I had my babies and then we went home a couple days later. And that was like the extent of it. So that was really interesting. I'm just really glad you brought this up because I think it's really interesting to hear the birth stories of the generations before us. And I think that it can be really healing for them to be able to share their birth stories too, because I don't think birth was really something that was talked about at that point in time. Like it was really hush hush at one point, like husbands and support people weren't even like allowed in to be there for the birth. It was really just like the woman going in by herself. And even like our parents' generations, things were just so different then compared to now. So it's really interesting to see like the similarities and differences, but then just to also hear how things have changed. And I I do think that there's a lot of healing that can come from storytelling and having someone actually like listen to us and validate us in our birth stories. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I, one of the things that really, I guess, I guess you could say stuck in my craw. Um, that's a quote by the way, from Will and Grace, but it really just (laughs) got to me was anytime I had a C-section and I love, I love my aunt to death. I love my grandma to death. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But anytime I had one, they would go, why would you want to labor anyways? It's just, it's just pain, unnecessary pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause my aunt had all basically, okay. My grandma had all C-sections. Two of my aunts had all C-sections. Then he had my mom who had all C-sections except for me being her V-back. So it really just, got to me and got under my skin. Like, I was just like, why are we like this? Like, why aren't we questioning the things that are done to us? <laughs> um, so like I said, I, I was just really happy. I was able to talk to my mom and I completely understand after her experience, why she was just like, nope, with my brother. She was like, I just want to go with what I know and what I feel comfortable with. And she had great experiences and that is totally possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really happy that we were able to have that moment together because 
she left and that's when things started really picking up. I think in a way, like I just wasn't comfortable with her being there and it wasn't anything about her. I just knew like if she disapproved so much, like this, this is going to be a weird experience because she didn't even know the plan. (laughs) So we get to 42 weeks. Exactly. It was a Friday. I'm having contractions. I knew they were contractions because they weren't like the prodromal labor I was having. It was like period cramps. And I was excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to this NST and they're going to see them. They're going to see that I'm contracting. And I was really excited. And I drive three hours and I'm having them the whole time. And I get in the office and they stop. Oh, no. (laughs) I'll never forget forget how upset I was. I was like, you know, maybe I can like, maybe I can make them like kickstart again or something. (laughs) they did. It didn't happen. He was still doing fine. Um, (laughs) I get to my NST and they kind of, they're happening. But like, when I get into the office with Dr. Bustaler, he was like, yeah, no contractions. I was like, are you sure? (laughs) Like, are you sure there's none? He was like, no, there's nothing, but everything's fine. And we had to have a serious conversation at that point because he was fine going to 43 weeks. I was fine going to 43 weeks. Like mentally, we were like, yeah, this is okay. Like everything's still looking fine. But he looks at me and he goes, I think we should stop scheduling appointments because I feel like all it's doing is giving you a goal to meet. And that's what's happening is you're just going, oh, that appointment's on this day. So I'm going to be pregnant till that day. And I was like, you know what? Maybe you're right. And I left the appointment and we just decided if by Sunday or no, not Sunday, Monday, nothing had happened. I needed to call him because we need to set up NST and BPP for twice a week at that point. And I was, oh God, the thought of that just made me, I was tired. I was like swollen. Oh boy. I was like, I'm not liking the idea of that, but I'm going to do it. Like we're going to do this. And I go home and I think around dinner time contractions start again. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is it. Let me go, let me go, go sleep for a little while. So I go to sleep and I'll never forget waking up at four in the morning and there was still nothing. It just all fizzled out. And I was devastated. I don't know what it was. I think just, it was overwhelming thinking about going up there twice a week now. And then nothing was happening. I'm like, it's, I'm 42 weeks. Why is nothing happening? And I remember crying so hard and I took a shower. I folded some laundry. I ate a pint of ice cream because I was just like, I was really in my emotions, man. And then I remember my husband woke up around like six or seven, something like that in the morning. And I'm venting to him, you know, and I'm, I'm really just telling him like, I, I think I want a C-section now. Like, I think Monday, I'm just going to go up there and have a C-section. And at that point I had truly accepted having a C-section because the whole time that was, I was avoiding it. I was going, we're not talking about it. We're not mentioning it, you know? And at that point, like in, in me, I was like, I accept the C-section now. Like, I think Monday I'm just going to tell them I want a C-section and, you know, we had sex and everything because it was like almost like a last ditch effort, if you will. And I remember taking a nap and I woke up at 10 and I was finally in labor. <laughs> and so we went, 19 hours out of the hospital, just laboring at home. So I was having contractions because it was three hours away. We had friends that were having like a Cinco de Mayo party. So they went ahead and he took the kids to them because they were going to be watching the kids for us. So the kids were having fun over there and I'm just at home, just relaxing, having trouble sleeping through contractions. It was 
whoo, an experience I won't forget. <laughs> and so I think around eight o'clock, my husband was like, Hey, let's, let's head out now. Car ride with contractions, not fun. I don't know how people do it, man. That was three hour car ride. You said, right? (laughs) Yeah. It was excruciating. It was more like two. my husband sped. Let's not talk (laughs) about that. He was, he was nervous. He was on edge. I don't blame him. We get there. And I just felt like I was not ready. I was not ready to go to the hospital. Yeah. I was like, I can't do this yet. So we found a hotel, We checked in the hotel. I forgot to mention, I hired the most amazing doula at 32 weeks. We met by chance. Okay. And so we called her, she joined us, um, at the, at the hotel, she gets in there and she was like, oh yeah, this is it, you know? And, um, so she was able to like, kind of fill in for the time where my husband needed to sleep. And so he went to sleep and her and I are just having conversations and we're talking about like, just anything, anything and everything. We sometimes talked about what was going on in the moment. We sometimes just talked about all the random stuff that we could to kind of just get through stuff. And at one point I finally like passed out and woke up to like a huge contraction and I had to go potty too. So I sat on the toilet and, um, I hear my husband say to her from the toilet, do you think we should leave now <laughs> to go to the hospital? And she was like, well, it's up to her. And he comes in the bathroom. He goes, Hey babe, can we go to the hospital? <laughs> And that's when panic set in for me. I wasn't ready. You know, I, I guess I started getting really scared at that point. And I told him, I was like, I really don't want to. He was like, but babe, I, I think it's time. Like you can't even talk through contractions anymore. And, you know, he could totally tell that my like grunts and moaning were on a whole other level than they were before. So we finally start heading over to the hospital. And I'm so nervous. I'm shaking. I kind of wanted to puke because of how scared I was. I just didn't want to go there and then tell me that I was only like two centimeters or something. Cause I would not have been able to handle labor if I was only two centimeters <laughs> and we get into the, the triage and they were like, can we check you? And I had been against cervical checks the whole time, but I was like, we're going to have to, like, I, I don't know where I'm at or anything. And so I let them check me and I was seven and a half centimeters. And I was like, I started crying. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, like this is actually happening. Like I was kind of still in denial that I was in labor up until that point. <laughs> and they finally put me in a room. They called Dr. Boots Taylor. And I had already called Liz, who was the midwife that worked with Dr. Boots Taylor. So I called her she was already headed up there and they come in and everything. And, um, I see Liz, she's like, Oh, it's going great. Everything's fine. You know, monitors look really good. Cause even though we could have fought the continuous monitoring, I chose to fight my battle with the Heplock because this hospital was like, you need an IV. And I didn't want to be walking around with something chained to me. So I was like, look, y'all can place a port just in case. And we, we managed that. So Anytime I wanted to get off the monitors, I just said I had to go to the bathroom and they would just let me off the monitors and I would just stay in the bathroom for as long as I could. (laughs) Um, And I remember one of the times I was in the bathroom, I had, mind you, my first nurse that came in, amazing. She was supportive. She was like, she didn't, it was like, it didn't even phase her. She was just like, yeah, okay, this is fine. The the, the shift change nurse that came in at 7am, she was opposite 
very opposite. She pulled my doula out during a contraction and was like in the hallway talking very loudly, might I add, about how I needed to get in bed. I was not allowed to not have an IV. And she was just very demanding. And then she comes in the room and she says the same thing to us, to which my husband and I are both like, no, we already declined all the stuff. We already signed all the paperwork. We're not doing this and you can't make me do this. And then I guess because of all the commotion coming from our room, the charge nurse went ahead and just took her off. And the nurse that I had had that was supposed to be changing out was like, if you want, I'll stay here with you until another nurse came in and was like, no, I'm fine. I'll take this one. So we got a new nurse. Um, I think at this point I'm at eight centimeters and and, boy, I'm telling you that I did not expect a lot of the stuff. Um, I was eight centimeters, had a bulging bag of waters, but I was leaking and they kept asking if they could break my water and I was so adamant against it and then at one point it kind of got taken out of my hands if you will she asked and I didn't give a yes or no she just kind of did it and that's that's not cool right like I should have been able to consent to that but it was like in that moment I don't really know what I was thinking I was just I don't know. I was kind of over them asking me, if you will. So I was like, okay, she took the, she took it from me. It's whatever contractions got super intense after that. So it was really hard for me to get through that. Um, and then at nine centimeters, I think it might've actually been nine and a half centimeters. I had a cervical lip and it was an anterior one. So what they had suggested to me is, Hey, what we're going to try to do is push the cervical lip over his head. And I was like, all right, I've never heard of this before. I honestly hadn't even done any research on cervical lifts. I knew what they were, but like, I didn't know how you're normally supposed to handle those, you know? And um, so I was like, all right, let's try it and everything. We did it and it was successful. And then it was like instantly from that, I think I went to a 10 because I, yeah, it, it, I started getting that pushy feeling, you know? And so my husband went out to the car because I was having trouble sleeping and he was going to go get me the peanut ball. So I could kind of lay on my side and just like have the peanut ball between my legs and just try to relax like that. And then the nurse was like, Hey, if you want, we can do fentanyl. And I didn't know what fentanyl was. I had never heard of it before. And she just kept saying, Oh, it takes the edge off. It takes the edge off. It takes the edge off. And so I was just like, yeah, whatever. Cause I was just, I was really irritated. I had been up for 25 hours at this point. Um, and I was really tired and I couldn't sleep because contractions. And it was like, I was passing out between contractions cause I was so exhausted. And so she gives me the fentanyl and that really makes me pass out. Like I fell asleep so fast and I guess it relaxed me enough to where I completed, if you will. And I remember waking up and the first thing I had to do was push. My husband's walking in with the peanut ball and I was like, oh my God, I have to push. And they were like, uh, you know, like, oh, okay, it's time. And so we did purple pushing and I don't advise that for anyone unless I, I guess there might be scenarios for it, but I wish, I really wish we hadn't. (laughs) Um, Cause you didn't have an epidural or anything at this point, did you? No, I didn't. I had nothing. I had gone med free the whole time until she just kept saying it'll take the edge off. And I was so exhausted, man. I was like, okay, maybe it will. It does not, or at least for me, it didn't. It did not take the edge off. It made me feel really drunk and out of control. And I could still feel everything. I just couldn't get my head around focusing on contractions anymore. 
So it, oh my God, the whole experience was really awful for me at the end. Um, it was like, I'd go to push and they'd be like telling me like, okay, one, two, three, and they'd be counting. And, you know, I was having a really hard time. I think another thing that really irritated me about the experience was my midwife was on my right side and she told my husband to stand on the left and the nurse comes and goes, no, you're not allowed to be here. And like told my husband, go stand on the other side of me next to the midwife. And like my midwife, I could tell she was annoyed. And so it like really threw me off not seeing my husband there anymore. You know, he was like to the side of me. And um, so, yeah, we're, you know, pushing and everything. I, it only took me three sets of pushes. Like the first three was when they were putting the lip over his head. And then the second three was, I feel like it was just practice stuff and it just brought him down more. <laughs> and then the third set was like one push, nothing, second push head, third push, I like pushed him all the way out. And I remember my midwife was like, oh, okay, he had meconium present also. My midwife kept telling the nurse like, no, he's fine. Leave him alone. Like he didn't even take a breath until we picked him up. And she like placed him on my chest, but the nurse is freaking out. Now, one of the things that was really important to me is I wanted to do delayed cord clamping and the nurse is freaking out. Like she had already called the NICU. She's panicking and she like, it made me panic because I was already in a panic you know, from the fentanyl and how it was feeling. And I just, I was like, fine, just take him. And like, they cut the cord, his beautiful cord. Oh my God. It was so pretty. Cut it, took him. The NICU looked at him for like five seconds. They were like, he's fine. And then gave him back to me. And I was just, at that point I was exhausted. I was upset because like, I was really going through a lot of emotions in that moment. Like I had finally done it, but like, I couldn't even enjoy the moment. It was, it was really awful. I couldn't enjoy the moment. I suffered a second degree tear and they, the stitching for that, I think, I guess internally it was a lot deeper because they had to do like the lidocaine shots and oh my gosh, that hurt so bad. And I could still feel a lot of the stitching that they were doing. But after that, I felt really dizzy and the fentanyl just left me in a really bad spot. So I was like drinking water to try to like flush it out couldn't stand up. The first time they tried to get me to stand up, it, the room started spinning and they tested my blood and stuff to make sure everything was okay. Nothing was wrong, but for some reason I just couldn't get up. And so they let me rest for a few more hours. My husband had to leave at this point because he had to go pick up the kids. And so he went to go do that. And they, he was giving them to their godmother who came into town. So he was, he went to go do that. My doula had to leave because she'd been with us all night. She has kids of her own, right? So she, she left and I'm just there by myself with the baby. The baby is sleeping like crazy. And so I was like, I kept stressing to myself. I was like, I need to get up. I really need to like feed him. Like, what if he starts crying? I'm not going to be able to get up. Nurse comes back in. She was like, Hey, we're going to try to move you again. And I was like, okay. So I got up and I was finally able to sit in the chair get into the room. Um, they told me how to handle all the, you know, like the second degree tear and it's healing stuff. Um, they told me all that I was only in the hospital for 24 hours after he was born. And then we went home with him. Recovery for that was rough, but not as bad as a C-section. It was just a different type of rough. <laughs> um, it, I dealt with like 
really bad swelling. And so they gave me ibuprofen and stuff for that. And then I did like ice packs from time to time. I try to do like warm compress too, to kind of get the blood flow to like heal it faster. And then at one point, I think I started getting mastitis because like my breast really hurt and I was getting a fever and I took some medicine for that and like, just did everything I could to kind of like get that to go away. And it just stopped the next day. So I don't know if I was getting it or something else was going on. It just did not feel good. And I think it took me, oh boy, I think like close to eight to nine weeks to actually feel back to normal after a secondary tear. I want to, one of the things I'd like to talk about is at my six week appointment, the midwife I saw wasn't the same one. And I'll never forget the words she said to me because she was like, oh, I didn't even think you were going to do it. And I was oh like, that's not gosh. something that's not something I really wanted to hear from you. Cause she was one of the newer ones too. One I hadn't really talked to a lot. Um, and I was just like, oh, well I did like, I don't know what you want me to say. I did, you know? Uh, <laughs> and like, why are you a midwife if you're not going to be supportive? Like that's I, so condescending. Why would you even feel the need to I, say something like that? no idea. I could just tell that she apparently doubted me from the beginning, but didn't show it until after it happened. Like until after I was successful, it was really, really interesting. I had them check the tear or yeah, the second degree tear, because for some reason it didn't feel right to me. They said everything looked normal, but I was just like, I don't know, something doesn't feel right to this day. I'm guessing everything's still fine no one's ever told me differently. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully I'm right. Everything's fine. And then after that, I dealt with a lot of anxiety because of how that I couldn't talk about my son's birth for a good six months without crying. Every time I talked about it, I was with so much anxiety and like, I kind of developed like a distrust towards nurses and I did not feel right about going to hospitals anymore. It's just every type of doctor appointment gave me anxiety. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be anywhere near that type of stuff. That was a really hard thing to get over. (laughs) I, again, Brittany was one of the people that really helped me get over that and just realized like, no, some of the things that were done to you were wrong. And some, a lot of the stuff that happened, you know, was just out of my control. And again, it was going to like, I forgive myself for things I didn't know. So there was a lot of stuff I either hadn't prepared for mentally, hadn't even thought about like happening to me. And of course it happened to me because I hadn't thought it would happen to me. Right. Well, and there were a couple of things like you had mentioned, they broke your water without getting your consent or like waiting for you to answer. They just went ahead and did it. Like that's a huge violation. And whether or not you like have the knowledge around like the pros and cons of your water breaking, even in that moment, like if someone's going to do something to you, you can't advocate your way out of that. You can't advocate your way out of abuse. So if someone has that intent of like, oh, I'm just going to break her water. Like there's very little that you could do to stop that from happening. Yeah. And it just, it felt like a lot of stuff was forced on me, if you will. Like, I don't really feel like even me agreeing to the fentanyl was like, true consent because she just Mm -hmm. I'm telling you when I repeat the words it's 
every like five seconds, she would say, are you sure? It takes the edge off. It takes the edge off. And it was like, I kind of just felt like browbeat into saying yes. Cause I just wanted her to shut up. Like I just wanted to be over with. Um, well, and you're and- in pain. So if someone's offering you pain medication, when you're in pain and you're in the vulnerable state of labor, like who says no to that? You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're yeah. in such a vulnerable state. It's very, very difficult to not say, okay, fine, when they're repeatedly asking you. And then after, I, I kind of forgot to mention this part, after we had him delivered, I forgot why she did it, but she gave me another dose of fentanyl. I don't even remember why she did it. I think it was because I was getting stitches and stuff that she just randomly gave me another dose of it. So I really think that contributed to why I didn't get out of that room, like my delivery room for because remember I was telling you I was feeling really dizzy and I couldn't stand I'm certain that was why it, that was happening it was because she gave me another dose of fentanyl and it's like I don't remember consenting to that but I also don't remember a lot after that point because the fentanyl really messed me up and I think that was why I had such a hard time talking about the birth because some of it I don't remember and I'm kind of just like filling in the gaps between what my doula wrote down and talked to me about and what she experienced and what my husband told me happened. So it was kind of nice to have two people there that were able to talk to me about like, Hey, if you don't remember this part, this also happened. And that kind of helped me, you know, and you know, what's weird is I had some really misplaced and I, I talked to her about this. Um, I had some really misplaced anger at my duel, right? It was misplaced as all hell. And I remember apologizing to her because like, it's not her fault. Like, I just felt like, you know, a lot of duels are, my idea of a doula is someone that's supposed to advocate for you. Right. And like what I learned afterwards is that a lot of the times their advocation is just telling you things like, Hey, you don't have to do this. Hey, remember this, that, and the other, like they can't openly say something to the nurses and the doctors. And I think that's where a lot of that came from was because I just wanted her to like do more, but it wasn't even her fault, you know? And I told her that, like, I, I admitted all of this to her because like, for some weird reason, I just developed like an anger. I even developed an anger towards my husband too, but I think it was all misplaced. It was me being angry at the wrong things and not actually addressing the fact that what happened that day was really just out of control. It, it left me with so much anxiety and I it's nice to be able to talk about it now and not cry you know like it is so nice to be able to share that experience and just be told like yeah no that's that was wrong or yeah that sounds awful and people actually agree with me it's also really nice to see people talk about how fentanyl made them feel the same way because for a while there in some of the in, two specific groups I'm not going to name on Facebook that are VBAC supportive. There were admins that were like, you can't say that because that's not everyone's experience. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I'm just sharing my experience just because you had a different experience with it doesn't mean I can't share mine. And it just made me feel really bad. So it's nice now to see people actually speak out and say, no, fentanyl's awful. Like, don't do it. (laughs) Well, and it's crazy to me that that's something that they even give women in labor like if you look at what it actually is and for those who don't know in epidurals there's typically fentanyl or a drug similar to that because that's what helps with the pain and the numbing and everything so it's i mean yeah that's a whole nother tangent that we could go off on oh my gosh the fact that that's given to women in the first place is just 
crazy. But I totally, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up like, just because I'm sharing my experience doesn't mean it's everyone's experience. Like, of course not. Of course course. not. Everyone's (laughs) going to have the same experience, but that doesn't invalidate yours or anyone else's experience by speaking to what happened to you and how you felt and how you processed through that. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Like, honestly, I remember the first time that was said to me, I was just so angry because I was just like, I never said this would be everyone's experience. I said, just be cautious because this was my experience. And if you're similar, because like, I, I, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but like, I'm typically, I guess you could say, I hate saying this word. I just don't like, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I, I don't do any of that. And so like, I wonder if like, maybe it's different for people who like have maybe like, cause like I said, it felt like I was drunk and, and, but it's like, I just personally, like, I don't like drinking. I have never smoked in my life. So it's like, I've always wondered, I've, it's a curiosity, you know? And then especially now seeing like, and this is a tangent, but like, you know, in the news, you see a lot of like, oh, fentanyl overdose and this and the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I didn't even know fentanyl, like, <laughs> The first thing I think about whenever I see that is like, I had that during my labor. Like, it's crazy. Sounds like, it sounds like a hardcore drug. Like, <laughs> it is. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. yeah, I was very proud to share my story, you know, like my birth story finally and be able to talk about, like, oh my God, I finally did it. Like, even after three C sections, it is still possible to do this. And even though I was left with like, you know, just really bad anxiety. I still appreciate sharing that story because I did experience a lot of good things even before labor. So one of the things I like to touch on is when we were in labor with him, I remember this feeling in my gut that was just like, stay home, stay home, stay home. And I always question now, like, maybe if I had just stayed home, I would have been fine. (laughs) But I also feel too, in saying that, you know, it's just the home birth podcast. I feel like, isn't normally like some people's idea of intervention, like leaving your house too. Like we feel more comfortable in our homes and stuff. And so it's like, once you leave your house, you automatically feel uncomfortable. And I feel like that's probably why I felt like that was, Mm -hmm. I was comfortable there. I was doing fine there. And then we had to drive. And then I was in a hotel and I was worried about people hearing us. And then hospital and even more drama there you know it was it was a trip so how how did you work through all of the emotions that you were feeling after that v-back and how did that lead you to the the choices that you made in your next pregnancy oh boy so okay let's talk about how i dealt with it first lots of eye can meetings because i'm telling y'all if y'all ever get to meet Brittany, <laughs> she can speak wisdom into you like you don't even know <laughs> like she really can and she helped me through a lot of stuff and it took a lot of just it, i honestly i love her to death because it didn't matter how many times i talked about the birth she was okay listening to it she she was ready to listen if i needed to get it out and I just, I appreciated that about her. It was like, it never was a dull like thing for her. It was just, she listened and she helped you process whatever it was that day that was bothering you. And so my ICANN meetings really, really helped with that. And then just talking about, it. I remember at one point I went to go see my mom and she, I was surprised. She wanted to know what happened, like how the birth went. And being able to talk to her about that experience and how it made me feel. And I think that was one of the first times I didn't cry when talking about it. And 
she apologized to me and she was like, I'm really sorry about that. And it was like, she was understanding for, for the first time ever. I, I don't know. It was again, like, I love that. I was able to have that with my mom. Like she told me her birth story and then I told her mine and it was, it was nuts. Um, <laughs> so really, I think just talking about it helped me through a lot of it. Um, and then let's go into how it affected birth number five. So I want to say we got pregnant same time. So I was expecting another baby around the same time as when I had him. He was May 6, 2018. And the next one was due like April 12th, 2020. And I was like, oh boy, this is great. They're going to be born on the same day. Like I was so ready for it. <laughs> and so I have this anxiety. Oh, you know, I actually forgot to mention something. I'm really sorry. Between those two in on Father's Day, I found out we were pregnant again, but we did miscarry July of 2019. Um, and then instantly after that, I got pregnant with our fifth. So miscarriage was hard. I can tell you all that much. Um, I'm sure a lot of y'all already know that. Um, mm -hmm. It was really difficult, it, it, especially being our first. Like I had four healthy kids and then we miscarry. So I was so confused. I was so lost and I didn't understand like what went wrong. I, it was, it was such a hard thing to just wrap my mind around that that can happen to someone. Like you can have all these healthy kids and then suffer a miscarriage. Like it's one of those things that's not talked about and I don't understand why. Like, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Cause you're right. It's not something that a lot of people talk about. And I think it's something that unfortunately people feel shame around or they feel uncomfortable talking about to other people, or maybe people just aren't understanding if they haven't experienced that themselves but it's still it's an important part of your story and to have yeah. that happen like with the anxiety and everything that you were already feeling i mean that just adds a whole nother layer onto things too and and even more to work through in all of that yeah it um so how we found out that we miscarried, because I was supposed to be seven weeks and I go to my appointment with this new doctor because I wanted someone closer this time. Like I still lived in the same area and I just wanted someone closer because the three hour drive like really drained me. And there's only one midwife in that area. And she did not make me feel comfortable at all. Like the backup for her, the backup doctor for her was someone who wouldn't do VBACs herself. Like she, she would just openly tell people that she wouldn't have a VBAC if it was her. And I wasn't comfortable with that. I didn't want a doctor like that. So I tried this one that was um, tolerant, if you will. I went to her. She was like, oh, you already had one. So like, what's the point? You know, you just have to make sure I'm the one that's there when you deliver. What turned me off from this place was I I get the ultrasound done. They don't let me see anything because I was already bleeding at that point. Um, they don't let me see the ultrasound at all. I was really bummed out about that. But according to them, there wasn't anything there. It was like my like baby stopped growing at four weeks. Like it just never developed. It never went past that. So I get into the room and I'm, I'm still bleeding and they wanted to do a pap smear, but like, they didn't tell me that they were just like, Oh, you know, I didn't know what they were doing. I just, <laughs> they just told me to take off my pants, which is, uh, you know, I was like, oh, okay, maybe they're gonna, you know, I wasn't sure what we were doing. I was like, maybe they're just gonna look to see what's going on or something. Like, I was so confused. And I remember she was like, had a tr 
person that she was training with her, if you will. And she does the pap smear. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I, like, I didn't know what was going on or anything. And I was just like, okay. And that felt like really violating. And then yeah. she told me, she told me afterwards, she was like, oh, that was just a pap smear. Cause I asked her and she was like, yeah, we have to do them you know, for pregnant women, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be asked first if I want one. Well, yeah. But, like, can you get my consent before you do something to me? Wow. I, I feel like it was kind of my fault for taking off my pants in the first place. Like, I guess I should have clicked in my head, like, what can they actually do for a miscarriage, right? No, that is not your fault. <laughs> I'm just going to stop you right there. That is not your fault. Because regardless, that is something that they should be getting full consent for. That is not okay. <laughs> And I just wonder too, because like, you know, you read through the papers and stuff. But I swear I don't remember reading anything or being told anything about a pap smear, but like really that day felt just really rushed. So she wanted me to go get labs done. And it was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so Mondays is happening. And I'm certain at that point, you know, because my appointment was that day. I was like, we've lost this baby. Like it doesn't, I don't know why I'm doing this, why I'm even consenting this. So we do Mondays, we do Wednesdays, we get to Fridays and I go in and it's raining and it's storming and I'm like, you know, I'm just certain like we've already lost the baby and I do the third draw and I get back to the car and they're calling me and they're like, yeah, the, your HCG is just plummeting. And I was like, I kind of figured that already, but thank you for calling me, you know? Um, and so that was the end of that. I went through like all the emotions you can think of. And then we got pregnant basically instantaneously after that. And he was due right around the same time as my fourth. So I had a lot of emotions still that I had it dealt with from the miscarriage and it made bonding with him really hard while he was in the womb. Cause that's important for me. Like I have to be able to bond with baby while they're in the womb. Cause otherwise I just feel so detached and I had refused to announce also, I was so adamant that I didn't want to talk about it or announce it to anyone. And maybe that is part of what you were talking about. You feel kind of like shame about having a miscarriage. And I just didn't want to tell anyone, you know? Um, and so in October, I had finally just decided, I was like, you know what? Well, let's just talk about it. You know, let's really be honest with ourselves. Cause I think October is the pregnancy loss and infertility month or something like that. And yeah. I guess seeing everyone talk about it, I was like, you know what, let's just talk about it. Maybe, maybe we'll feel better after talking about it. So I, I talked about it and it was so interesting to see so many people reach out and just, Hey, I've been through the same thing. Hey, it's, you know, like you're not the only one we understand. And I also announced like our pregnancy in that same month. And at that point I was able to like finally start bonding because I just let it go. You know, like there was nothing else I could do. We have a new baby on the way. It's, you know, we have to heal. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to go back to Dr. Roots Taylor's and I say, try, I did go back, but what had happened was there was some type of change between the time I'd seen him in 2018 and 2020. People who are from Atlanta will know exactly what that is. Um, I can't speak on it too much, but there was huge change and he had all new midwives or he had two midwives. One of them was the one that told me after having my VBAC that she didn't think I could do it. And then another one was just some new lady I had never met before. And my first appointment is with the new lady. And she, when I'm telling her everything that explaining my passwords and stuff, she shamed me for the decisions I made during my VBAC. And 
I, I was like, why are you here? Like, you know who you're working for, you know, who like his ideas and views on things. And yet you're here shaming me for decisions that we made together. Like it wasn't something where he controlled anything. It was, he gave me my options and I chose and he was fully supportive of them. So having a midwife, like shame me for that, like really, I just was kind of done with that place. I went to go talk to Dr. Boots Taylor and everything. And I hadn't told him what had just happened with the midwife, but I wanted to get his opinion on what we could do differently. So this was my first time talking to him since my last birth, because you don't normally have a meeting with him after birth. And I was telling him everything I felt about my last birth and asking his opinion on things that we could try to do to maybe mitigate troubling nurses or maybe nurses just understanding like just leave me alone basically um not leave me alone like they have to do their job right but like like don't be so oppressive and like in my face and it just like let me make decisions just talk to me like you don't have to yell at me you don't have to just talk to me right, right. and he had said something along the lines if i can remember of like oh well you just need to use your voice more and I think that was where I kind of like just lost all interest in being there anymore. So it's just like, yeah, that made me go, oh, yeah, that's not what I wanted to hear from you. Like for being such an open doctor, that isn't what I wanted to hear from you at all. I wanted you to tell me like, yeah, we can try to talk to them or, you know, like maybe we could try to put a sign on the door, right? Like anything like that. I wanted him to give me like creative ideas. And the only thing he'd give me is you need to use your voice more. And I, it just, it really messed me up. And I think I was like 12 weeks at that time. And so I go to my next few appointments, hoping things will be different. And I just wasn't comfortable there anymore. I get to 20 weeks, I do my ultrasound with them and everything was fine. Everything was great. We didn't want to find out the gender. So uh, I think the only thing that we did was we wanted to send his, uh, my husband's Nana a photo of it and what the gender was so that she would know but we wouldn't and so we did that and everything and I leave that appointment and then I was supposed to have appointment for 24 weeks so I messed up the time at my 24 week appointment I thought it was supposed to be at 10 so I left at 7 and I found out that it was at 8 and what kind of like made me angry was I was two hours late for my appointment okay but no one had called to check on me yet. And I was like, that feels really weird because the first time around, anytime I was even 10 minutes late for my appointment, they were calling to check on me because they knew I was traveling three hours to get to them. And I was like, I don't really like that. Like, I'm just, I'm not even going to call them. And like, I turned around and everything. I just went home. because I was like, I don't feel like doing this. And I was waiting for them to call me waiting for them to call me. Cause you know, I, I felt like at that point I had a missed appointment. I probably had a missed appointment fee, right? They never called me. Wow. Not a single time to check on me and see where I was. And I'm talking like weeks later, they still hadn't called me. And that's when I had kind of decided, I was like, you know what? I, that feeling from my son Noah's birth, which was my first to be back after three cesareans about staying home was coming back to me. And I started looking into unassisted birth and I just knew something inside of me. It just kept, it was just kept coming up. I always say it was like calling. 
something in my heart was like, we have to do this unassisted. This isn't going to go good anyway. You try to make it go. It's just, you need to be alone. And that was the only way I was going to find peace was being alone. And so I joined this one Facebook group that I really love. And they were super helpful with a lot of stuff. But like the thing with the group is like, they're not supposed to give you information. You know, you do your own like research and stuff. Cause when you choose unassisted birth, you're accepting all risk. And that's what it is, is you accepting every single risk that could possibly happen during birth and to your baby and to yourself. And so they literally say in the rules, like this isn't something where they're supposed to give you information. You have to do the research on your own. And they would have like, different sites that you could look at, or even like there are even unassisted birth courses out there. I didn't take them. I kind of just trusted the information I already knew about birth and the risks I already knew about my specific, you know, like three cesarean situation. And I went with that and I just looked up like emergency childbirth stuff. I looked up breach birth stuff. You kind of have to know breach birth stuff because you don't know what's going to happen. It's just really one of those things like you have to trust your gut. And this was me finally trusting every fiber of my being and that connection I have with my child. So I started also doing the brewer, yeah, brewer's diet, right? Dr. Brewer's diet Mm -hmm. for um, trying to avoid pregnancy induced hypertension and preeclampsia. And it, it worked for me. I actually, I mean, it's, it's hard to get into (laughs) for what they're asking for, but it, it was it was easy once you get used to it, you know, um, eating two eggs a day is not my cup of tea, but you know, I guess for some people you can do that. Right. So I did that to, to try to help mitigate pregnancy induced hypertension chances and preeclampsia, preeclampsia chances, but don't get me wrong. I also had backup plans to this. Like I had tons of backup plans and the closest hospital to us was like 10 minutes away. It was like right up the street. I would have been delivering there if I, that was the place I had chose for a C-section. And so, yeah, from there, I talked to my doula for my first feedback and she was so on board. She was like, let's do it. And she, I, I thought it was crazy how much my husband and my doula both just trusted me. They were just like, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I sent her the emergency birth kit thing, not for her to do anything, but just so that like, she knew what we were doing in the moment, right? Like I wanted her to like feel comfortable too. I don't know if she ever read it or not. I have no idea. I know my husband did. Um, And we had all sorts of printouts that I still have for just different scenarios and what you're supposed to do. Like, let's say uh, like cord prolapse and stuff. Oh, you know, you got to raise the hips and get to a hospital as soon as possible, you know, like keep the baby from going further. So yeah, they they supported me like crazy. I, I can't even tell y'all how valuable that was. That's so, so yeah, great. We- <laughs> and I feel like that's, that's really important when making a choice like that, where you're taking that full responsibility. It's really important to like, have whether it's your husband, a doula, uh, you talked about those Facebook groups, I know that those can be really good supportive places too. But just someone that you can talk to and that doesn't think that you're crazy for making the choices that you're making. That's so important. Oh, I'm really glad that you had that from both of them. (laughs) It's so funny being in some of those Facebook groups, like for the unassisted birth, because it's like, they almost act like you're crazy. If you ever talk about like a doctor and stuff, it's, 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 (laughs) to me, it's funny. Cause like, 
I'm not fully on that mindset, right? Like I'm not hardcore, like unassisted birth. Um, but you know, from at that time, that's what was going like, that was the thing for me. And I knew this was the only way I was getting this birth done and having a peaceful experience. It was either going to a hospital and fighting, going back to Dr. Bruce Taylor, driving three hours and probably having the same experience or staying home and being at peace with every decision I'm making in that moment. And that's what I chose. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we got to 41 plus one weeks and I was having crazy prodromal labor, just Oh my gosh. I think my bloody show even happened like before I actually went into labor. Like, I guess it's like the start of it. Right. But like nothing was consistent. It was really, Oh man, it was all over the place. Lots of mile circuit to try to like get baby in the right position. And then we had like this really awful dinner. I, (laughs) I didn't have the ingredients to make a shepherd's pie. So I tried to make a shepherd's pie without it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it, it turned out so bad. Like that was the worst dinner I've ever made in my life. My husband was just like, no, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not. Stop lying to me. It tasted <laughs> awful. Um, and then, <laughs> so I'm like cleaning up dishes and everything. And he's putting the kids to bed and I'm starting to have contractions. And I was like, oh my God, I think this is it. I was so excited. And um, so I think, oh man, I think it was like around nine o'clock at night or something. We had an eight hour birth. So it might've been like nine or 10, something like that. I think it was 10. Uh, but yeah, so contractions start and everything. And this birth was much, much faster than my first one. And I could tell it was going to be different. And I just knew in my mind, cause remember I had a cervical lip. So I also did research on that. Apparently like sometimes the good thing to do is like gravity you know, like making sure gravity is equal on all sides of your cervix. So it doesn't just, and when I think about it, I was in bed for most of my VBAC in my first one. So it was like, I was always on my back, which means, yeah, I probably would have had an anterior lip if I wasn't using gravity to help efface that side and make it smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I tried. I, I was just like, let's, let's try it. Right. And I was just, I was all over the place. I was on hands and knees. I was up. I created one of those little, um, kind of little door hanger things. Uh, I like, you can put like a knot in a towel or like a blanket and put it in the door and you can kind of like use it to squat like a supported squat. I forgot what they're called. You normally use it with verbozos, I think is what it is. But, um, so I created one of those and I was just all over the place. No one could stop me. I wasn't laying down and around 5 13 in the morning probably five o'clock more so I was like doing the tippy toe thing and I don't know if you know about that but like apparently for some midwives they say the tippy toe is when you know it's time to go like (laughs) it like yeah it's almost time so I was doing that thing and then I felt like really that bowling ball sensation everyone talked about and I feel like I missed that with my first back. like I didn't get to feel that because I guess I wasn't out of bed and yeah, I felt it this time. I was like, Oh, we got to get in the water. Like it's time to go. <laughs> and so I like took everything off as fast as I could. And I got in the water and then I started getting scared and I was like, Oh God, it's time again. Like, and I was panicking because I was almost like reliving my first view back. And I was so scared. And I was just like asking my husband, like, we're going to be okay. Right. Like everything's going to be okay. And he was like, yeah, you're, you're doing great. Like we're almost done. Um, my doula's like there and she's like, everything's fine. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people that throws up during labor. So that happened, um, through twice. And then 
so I threw up twice and it was like instantly my body started pushing for me. And I actually got to experience like fetal ejection reflex. Whew, that was like doing a sit up times 10. It was like, my body was forcing everything. I was like hands and knees. And the first push, like the first time it did it, my water broke. I actually got to feel the pop that everyone talks about. Like I I'm, it's so funny to me. It was like a whole new experience. Like my water broke. I felt the pop and I was like, whoa. And then the second push, his head came out. And then I'm like sitting there and nothing else is happening. It was like, my body stopped. I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> I panicked for some reason. I was like, babe, is the baby. Okay. So something came out and he was like, no, I don't see anything. And then my dual was like, no, there's definitely a head there. He was like, I don't see anything. <laughs> so bad. And then I was like, you know, my dual is like, calm down. It's okay. Like sometimes this happens, like the head comes out and like, as long as it's not longer, I think than like two to five minutes or something like that. And the shoulders haven't been delivered. You don't have an issue. And it had, it just felt like it was that long. Right. Cause in the moment I'm just panicking and we're waiting, like I'm waiting for my body to send that next signal. And it happened sure enough within the next like minute. And my husband caught the baby and I had to like do like gymnastics maneuver to kind of get like the cord out from under my leg and like sit down and actually hold my son. Oh man, I'll never forget that. I just started crying. So I was like, oh my God, I actually did it. Like we it, we're like, we're fine. Everyone's fine. And I was holding him and I was looking at him. I was telling him how beautiful he was. And he was so like, uh, like, I don't want to say alive. That's the wrong word. Like loud, if you will. Like he cried instantly. And I feel like Noah didn't necessarily do that. My VBAC baby, he didn't, I don't feel like he cried instantly. I feel like it took him a minute. And so he, you know, and I'm just enjoying looking at him. And then we were like, okay, well, we've got to get out of the pool now. Like, you know, uh, I was kind of having trouble delivering my placenta and I'm trying to remember like everything I read up on, on how to like, obviously you don't pull on the placenta. You don't pull on the cord or anything. Right. And you just kind of like, I was trying to think ways to relax so that it comes out. We were like, all right, you know what we're going to do really quick. We're just going to tie off the cord. We're going to cut it. And then I'm going to go see if I can sit on the toilet. And so I did that. And then like, I really had to go pee. So I like, I, I peed and then the placenta came out with that. And I was like, oh, there we go. Like <laughs> I just needed to relax. Cause I guess I was so tense. Like I didn't, I don't know why it was like everything I thought about went out the window or not thought about but read about went out the window in that moment. And like, <laughs> yeah, all I needed to do was relax. And it, it came out just fine intact, everything. And I still have it in my freezer right now. Cause we haven't planted it yet, but it, I think after that, like after we saw the placenta was delivered and my husband put it in the freezer and everything, um, yeah, we just, I passed out. I went to sleep. It was only eight hours and I just passed out with my baby and we woke up and everything was, it just felt so good. Like I actually got to like spend time with my baby. It was crazy. Cause I've never gotten to do that. Like every time I can think of, I feel like that whole first hour is just so interrupted and now it was like, I was holding him. I was sleeping with him. We were together and we were never separated. And it was just such a beautiful feeling. And I, it's like, I don't feel like unassisted birth is for everyone. I really don't. I feel like you have to know in your gut, it's what you want and really like consider your personal risks and think about, you have to have backup plans to your backup plans for any scenario that happens. And that's what my husband and I have. And we were fully ready to accept all risk in that scenario, which so we did. 
how did that birth leave you feeling emotionally afterwards? And just how has the last year been since having him, especially compared to your other birth experiences? I have been on a high from it for like ever. It is probably one of my favorite births to talk about. I love, oh my gosh. So like we're pregnant now. Right. And I love going to doctors and saying I had an unassisted birth because the look on their face (laughs) is so funny, man. Okay. Like, like I said, please hear me out. I don't feel like unassisted birth is for everyone. And I understand why people question me and I understand why people are like, what in the heck? I knew it was right for me. I did everything in my power. And I think one of the best things as someone who probably doesn't agree with unassisted birth is knowing, knowing that people who have unassisted births accept all risk. It's not like we're crazy and we don't know about the risks. Mm -hmm. We do. And we accept them. And that's one of the biggest parts of unassisted birth and trusting that you'll know when something's wrong. And I'm sorry, I just feel like with all of my past births, I always had some gut feeling that something was going to go a certain way and something was happening a certain way. And I trusted it almost all the time. And it's like the times where I didn't bit me in the butt. Right. So this time when I felt it in my heart and in my gut that we were going to be fine and this is what I needed to move on. It's what I did. And it's what I chose. And I don't regret my decision at all. Like I, it was my best birth ever. And I like, sometimes wish I could relive it. Right. Cause it was just such a, an amazing feeling to like, know that I did this without people who were going to judge me, who were going to, you know, just get in the way. Mm-hmm. And I am so appreciative to my husband and my doula that they were there to experience that with me. And it's, it's otherworldly. Like I, if I could be honest about that, I do feel like you can have that with any birth. Okay. Cause I could even say that for my second birth, it was the same way. It was just so peaceful. Right. But like, I didn't get a high from it. (laughs) This one like gave me such a birth, like, Oh my God, I'm on top of the world. And it makes me so excited to talk about. And what's funny. Okay. So let's talk about gut feelings again. Right. So I wasn't initially going to talk about this, but so we're on our sixth now. We've had two miscarriages since that birth. Both left me equally devastated. I think the second one hit me harder than the first because the second one was like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, why am I miscarrying again? And again, we got pregnant instantly after the second one, not the first one. And so I've been really nervous this whole time, right? And I don't have that same feeling. Like I've actually sought out a home birth midwife instead this time who who's very supportive, supportive of me and my choices. And I'm really excited to try this, you know, like, I don't feel like this time around unassisted birth is right for me. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Gut feelings. Like something in me this time is like, it's not right this time. Like let's, let's get someone to actually be there with us. And also I, I, something in me is also telling me to get dual care. So like I'm paying the midwife out of pocket and then Triker is going to cover like the doctor stuff. Cause I would just, I don't know, something in me this time is like, Hey, let's, let's just get some extra help, you know? And I'm and fine with that. <laughs> good for you for being able to tune into that and just listen to what your body is telling you. I mean, that's, that's such a testament to there is no one right way to birth. Because like you said, you you had really great 
C-section experiences. This last birth was incredible. And now you're going a different route for this one too. And so it just, that's just truly a testament to say, like, even though I had good experiences with these other things, like this time, I just feel like I need to do something different and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's one of my favorite things. Um, so I talk about Brittany a lot and I'm really sorry about that. Um, one of the things, <laughs> don't Brittany be sorry. Brittany's to, awesome. <laughs> so one of the things she got me to mentally, if I'm being honest, was out of that, it has to be vaginal birth or die. It's more of like the journey that you go on. So I love being able to tell people in VBAC groups and even maybe normal mom groups. So I'm not in a lot of those. It's mainly VBAC groups where I have this conversation where they talk about like, oh, I really don't know if I should go for a VBAC and they feel like they're going to be shamed. Right. And I'm not one of those people. And I always just tell them like, look, the whole point of a VBAC journey and really just a pregnancy journey in general and I think the thing that gets fought for the most in a VBAC journey, though, is the autonomy and actually being in control of what's happening, knowing what's happening, maybe even knowing more about what doctors tell you, you know, and asking more questions and telling people no. It's you being more in control. So it's like if you get to the end of your VBAC journey, right, and you go, I don't think this is for me anymore, that's fine because you're making that decision consciously. It's not a doctor going, no, we're not doing this. It's not a doctor telling you what you have to do. It's you feeling inside. I don't know if this is for me anymore. Like, you know, for some people, and I, I could have said this with maybe even my second, it almost felt like too much trouble, you know? Cause like, I didn't want to tell the nurse on the phone, you know, like, oh, they, they said next week, I don't understand why you're calling me. I was just like, oh, okay, I guess this is how it's going to be. Right. I didn't want to fight them anymore. It's, and it wasn't even a fight really. It was just kind of like, okay, it's not a big deal. Right. And I feel like for a lot of women, that's what it is. And that's okay. Like no one should feel ashamed for that. Like, it's okay if that's what you want to choose. And I love telling people that now and not feeling like, guilty about it, if you will. Cause it's like, in reality, I don't want anyone to have a bad birth. And I think that's the whole point of just the whole autonomy movement in the birthing world is there have been so many people who have been manipulated, lied to, assaulted, all of it. Okay. And they didn't get to make their decisions like they should have been able to, because for some reason, doctors in this field think they just own everything. And that's not how it is. And so it's like, I love being able to tell women, like, this is a decision you're making. So if you feel that this is the best route for you, then take it, feel empowered by that and, and just go with it. Like have your baby, you know, like, I just don't want anyone to to ever feel like, I don't want them to feel bad about their birth. You choose what you choose. I love seeing women talk about how many VBACs they've had. I've loved seeing women talk about having vaginal birth with epidurals however you want to birth, man. Like just that's what it comes down to is respect (laughs) a woman's right to decide how she wants to give birth to her baby, respect her choices and support her in them. Stop trying to force things either way, one way or the other onto women. We should all be able to make our own choices regarding our pregnancies and births. Yep. And, and that's all I've ever wanted. And that's, I guess what I try to bring to every group I'm in is like, I I honestly feel sad in some of these groups, just seeing women like, I don't know, feel like they've been shamed for something. And it's like, no, like 
why would anyone care? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, I get it. There are people who are diehard, right? And on both sides, on both sides, it's diehard. Actually, on all four sides, because I feel like there's so many different communities out there. But <laughs> there is. I agree. But no, there there are. It's like I've seen the extremists in the unassisted community. I've seen extremists in the cesarean community. I've seen extremists in VBAC. It's like, yikes, dude. Like, if they come and asking for advice, you know, give it to them. But don't judge them if they don't agree with you. Don't judge them if, like, that's not what they want cool, great, move on. Like there, this is not the conversation you need to be having. Go to someone else who's going to listen. Like, um, (laughs) but some people just don't know how to do that. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, but really that's all I've ever wanted. And that's why I like sharing my stories because I feel like I've had choices, right. And with each birth, I made more choices for myself Mm -hmm. and things that were for me. And while along the way, there were some flubs, if you will, and you know, times where my choice was taken away from me, but like, now I get to share that with people. And so that they can make that decision for themselves and be like, yeah, that actually is assault or they actually is like, they did something wrong there. But yeah, I, I'm excited for this birth. I I don't know how it's going to go. I honestly, in a weird way, don't care. I finally know how that feels, which is really (laughs) weird because I've met women who, uh, who they're on their last kid and it's like, eh, I could have a VBAC or I could have a cesarean. And it's like, I always wondered how that felt. And now I'm, I'm like that. I'm like, well, I really (laughs) want a home birth again. Right. I really want one, but it's not the end of the world. If I have to have another C-section, like it's, it's really not. I, I'm fine either way. It's my last one. You know, we're we're done after this. I don't have to fight anymore after this. It's <laughs> it's just nice to have that peace and know yeah. that regardless of what happens, like you get to call the shots and make the decision at the end of the day. Yep. And and that's I think that's all anybody could ever ask for in the birthing community is just being able to make your own decisions and not be judged about it. Well, we covered a lot, but I always like to ask if there's anything else that you feel like you want to add or just any advice that you would give to women who are currently weighing their options or trying to decide if they want to have another C-section, if they want to try the home birth route, what would you say to them? Okay. If you want to try the home birth route, really vet your home birth midwives. Like, if you have to shop around, unless the first one you meet just really feels comfortable for you. Right. But shop around because sometimes there are places that have underground midwives and stuff. And, you know, obviously you have to be hush hush about it, but make sure you ask that question. There are also for people who want to try unassisted birth, there are birth keepers you can talk to, to see if maybe it's right for you. And if it's not, then it's not, you know, but you can talk to a birth keeper and see, you know, gauge maybe what you'd expect, you know, cause they don't do anything. Like they're not medical people at all. They're there to support your space. So you don't feel alone. Um, kind of like my doula did for me. They do nothing medical. You during unassisted birth, do everything yourself. So they just teach you certain things. Like they send you the stuff for how to take your own blood pressure. If you don't know how to do that already, or like stuff like that. And they tell you what you need for an unassisted birth, but they don't do anything for you. You have to do it yourself, but it's just good to know that's an option. Right. And then for home births, make sure you just have backup plans, like know where you're going to go. If something goes wrong, if you feel comfortable doing dual care, like, like I'm doing this time, do that. Like it, you're, I would hope your midwife wouldn't lose her crap because you're also being seen by 
a doctor too, but who knows they, that might exist. I haven't encountered it yet, but yeah, I feel like that's the only advice I could give is like, make choices for yourself, you know, shop around in the early months. And if you feel like someone's not a best fit for you, switch. Oh Lord, switch at any point. And I know a lot of places are like, oh no, we don't take people this late, but it's like, well, well, you're kind of left with no one, then kind of just show up at the hospital and hope for the best with this, which is super unfortunate, but I feel like there's always time to switch, you know, there's always time to switch your plan and just make up, make sure you have backup plans. That's all I can really say. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share all of your birth stories and just everything that you learned in your journey along the way. Hi, I appreciate you having me and I'm so glad we could finally do this. <laughs> it's <laughs> been too. a long two years, but like so much has happened, you know, for both of us. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm really happy I was finally able to do this. It feels so good to finally do this. And I really appreciate everything you're doing with your podcast and all of it. And especially including people who have unassisted births. I really appreciate that too, because we count as part of the home birth community, even if we don't have a midwife, you know? Totally. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.